for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving, hating, crazy indecision in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 39. And with me, as always, my co-host, Justin Fabian. Fabes, how's it going, man? Oh, man, it's it's good. Uh, got the heat turned up here in Iowa tonight. It's been pretty cold the last couple days. I think uh, you and me both, man. Yeah, I think we're looking at like negative six or negative ten tonight, and it's only going to get worse the next couple days. So, kind of just hunkering down here and trying to get some work done from home. Yep, same here. We uh, we just got an email tonight um, from HR that uh, they are prepping for a noon departure tomorrow for letting everybody go home because of the snowstorm coming in. We're supposed to get. Anywhere from 10 to 12 inches starting oh, wow. uh, right around 4 a.m. in the morning and going all day tomorrow. It's supposed to be a high of, like, I mean, single digits. Right now it's negative 8, my truck said. And, uh, yeah, so we're we're preparing. I'll tell you, we're preparing for, preparing for the worst. Yeah, it's. I guess that probably means I'm going to see it tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening. Seems, yep. seems to be the trend between between us from Michigan to Iowa, but I mean, they, on the on the plus side, with temperatures that low, you know, the snow is usually not too wet, too heavy. It's always that that powdery light snow, but it does add up fast, man. Yep. It's enough to be a pain in the ass. It really is. And this afternoon, uh, my wife and I and my in laws, we took Peyton uh, for a ranger ride, and we went. I don't know. We put some miles on today, and we we're just going through some you know, sections and, and, uh, the drifts were like crazy. The drifts were starting to be real tall and, you know, and like it's enough to get the ranger high centered, but it's cold. I mean, it was extremely cold and luckily we were, you know, my father-in-law has got a ranger. It's a four seat ranger and it's got like car doors on it. Heat, you know, windows around. It's basically like riding in a car. (laughs) So it's nice. You can get in there and hunker down and and go and enjoy the countryside even when it's cold out but we did uh we did come up on 34 deer yarded up in Uh, one little wood lot it was crazy um no antlers at all all of them were does does and fawns unless 
you know, some of them had already shed, which I do have one shed buck already. But um, other than that, I really don't have anything to go off for, you know, sheds, really, like deer shedding. My brother-in-law, he uh, he saw 30-some deer together the other day, and he said he had, it was either five or six bucks still holding on that he saw. Well, yeah, I can, I can relate to two of the things you just said. Uh, I was out coyote hunting yesterday afternoon, and I was on one of the farms down in Decatur County, and uh, <clears throat> I had about an hour drive home, and uh, I don't know, I'm probably 20 miles away from the farm, you know, headed north, and uh, I saw a car with its, its four ways on, stuck in a in a snowdrift off the side of the road, so I go to turn around to try to help him, you know, I, I got a chain in my truck, and I was going to turn around and try to pull him out, and uh, man, I didn't get a foot off the edge of the road, and my truck almost turned sideways on me, like, like you said, high centered. Uh, I got stuck, literally three feet off the pavement last night. Just, <laughs> thing, it just, I, I went to turn, turn around. You know, I pulled over to the shoulder to let some cars go by, and the truck just sank on the passenger side. Like my wife was with me, uh. and she couldn't even get her door open. I mean, it was, it was uncomfortable to try to hold yourself up in the truck. You know, like level. And uh, luckily, right. I was only sitting there for about five minutes, and uh, someone actually had stopped, come up behind me and stopped, and gave me the old, you know, everything okay? You guys all right? And it's like, yeah, you know, the only thing hurt is is my pride, but uh, I got a chain. <laughs> a little embarrassment. <laughs> if you could uh, help me get out of here, I'd really appreciate it. And he had me out in about five minutes, and we shook hands and parted ways, but... So that was one thing that you said that I can relate to. The other is uh, all the deer I saw. And like you said, they're all just yarded up right now. And unlike you, I think I saw more bucks than does. I was on a private farm of about 1,400 acres, but uh, I was really surprised at the number of bucks that were still holding antlers. And, I mean, just the, the sheer size of the group. I mean, it was like, man, I bet you I, I, saw, I saw two groups, and I bet you the first one uh, probably had – 40 to 60 deer in it and the other was well over 100 i mean both on food sources and i mean as you would expect with this kind of temperature but it's just nice to see that after all that you think these deer go through to see in one place that number of deer you know to see that many knowing that they they survived and they're they're eating and they're healthy and they're doing good like right just like just just keep eating you know you, you're gonna make it just keep eating you're fine yep I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it just kind of brings to light how much how resilient they are. You know that that's kind of where my mind goes. Exactly. Is yep. You, you try to do so much to do your part and keep the pressure off, and you know, selectively harvest the mature bucks, and you you know you put so much pressure on yourself as far as how many does to shoot, and like, what do I do? Am I doing it right? How do I do it? You know, and then. Just go out there this time of the year and see how many you still have left, and it's kind of eye-opening. You're you're just a small role, you know. You only play a very small part in that equation, right? You know, and as we were driving by today, you know, I like to, when I see deer, and when they're doing a certain thing or whatever it is, I like to, you know, like today we saw the 34 deer, and I like to stop and and kind of take in what is happening at this time of year. It's for mental notes, right. you know. So you know we had stopped and we were watching all the deer, and as you know, as they were watching the deer run off, I was looking in the woods, you know, because they were running across the field and trying to figure out like why were they in here and why were there so many deer together. Well, 
it was on a south facing slope. Yep. So it was really sunny today and it was colder than hell out. So south facing slope, sun was hitting them for the majority of the day. There was beds that looked like they were, you know, all scattered around and they were just in there hunkered down out of the wind. The wind was out of the, I think it was out of the west, some sort of the west. I think it was the northwest wind, which would have made, you know, perfect sense because they were facing southeast, you know, and letting that sun hit them. And, you know, they were just over the rise, so the, the wind wasn't catching them, you know, directly. So, right. you know, it's just I like to take all that information in and, you know, bank it in the memory and just, you know, that might help me. Who knows when, you know, or just I'm learning more about deer as well. You know, I, right. I always like to turn something into a learning experience. So, yep. You know, talking about south facing hillsides, I mean, this is a topic we could cover in a coffee call one day just to, to talk a little bit more in depth about. But this time of year, or even in the early spring when you start shed hunting, that's always a great place to start looking for sheds, or this time of year, a great place to start looking for the deer that have survived because those south facing hillsides or just the southerly aspects of your of your property you know the way the sun rises in the east that's in the west um, especially this time of the year you know the northern hemisphere is covered in more shade and therefore the sun is coming more from the southern hemisphere casting shadows to the northern hemisphere and for that reason alone you're going to see deer yarded up like this you know in those areas that have more full sun for longer hours of the day and you know if you just start paying attention to that kind of stuff you'll see you know that it, it, that's that's true across anywhere in north america no matter what state you're in or you know where yep. your where your food is i mean and again you can dive into this a lot deeper than that but you could plant for that right you know plan for that you know late season hunts mm-hmm. and you know shed hunting strategies and i mean so it can go all the way as far back as planting food plots, which is what this week's topic is on, is is food plots and food plot preparation. Yes. And today, you know, to kind of kick off what and who we have on today is uh, Jeff Nelson. from He's from Wisconsin. He owns Advanced Habitat Solutions. You know, and, and we've been getting some, some questions about food plots. And you know, they were kind of generic, but we wanted to get into, and, and he's not going to be the only guy we have on for food plots. We're going to have a plethora of people because I want to get different takes from a lot of different people. And he was just one just to kick off this whole thing. You know, we wanted to talk about some some specific things as far as, you know, what to plant where, Yep. Uh, you know, why to plant it there where to put it, you know, adjacent to bedding and, and a whole lot of other things as well. I mean, you know, I think what you're trying to say is that, you know, this is only one strategy when it comes to, to food plot implementation. And, uh, you know, depending on where you are in the country, you know, and what you think or what you know you can grow, depending on your soil type, soil quality, pH, you know, all those factors that go into a food plot. Um, again, this is only one take on that. And, you know, like like most things, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with any of these any of these ideas or any of these tactics. It's just a matter of which one suits you best. So, uh, coming from Wisconsin, these are some of the principles that are going to apply to you know maybe some of the guys in the northern Midwest or you know the Northeast, uh, you know in the in the Whitetail Range. But um, like Aaron said, you know we're going to try to get more involved and more in depth in these 
these processes and you know these applications when it comes to food plots. Yes, definitely. And and not only everybody else out there wanting to learn things, but I want to learn things. I've been doing food plots a long time, but I really don't feel like I've been doing them the right way. You know, so I want to learn as well. So that's why I want to get, like you said, a lot of other different perspectives on there as well, other than Jeff. Just like I said just a little bit ago, you know, with the deer and on the south-facing slopes, I like to turn everything into a, a learning experience. So I want to know everybody's opinion and then start applying that on my farms and see which one really works. Because, you know, I can listen to a Mark Drury all day long about this kind of stuff. But the thing is, is what works for him in Iowa might not work for me here in Michigan and vice versa. Right. So that's why I want to get a whole, you know, slew of people on here. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't have said it better. I mean, there's just, there's so many different scenarios that are, you know, unfortunately, like a lot of the things we've covered here the last few weeks, it's give and take, you know, you got to give something up in order to get something in return. So not everybody has those same, you know, demands versus the reward they want. So, um, yeah, it's, this is one of those tactics. This is one of those strategies you can apply, uh, depending on the soil type and, you know, what your goals are as far as, you know, when you want to implement that, that herd health and like, you know, what part, what stage of that process you want to target as far as, you know, when to keep the deer healthy, if you want to hunt over it, if you just want, you know, to provide sanctuary, if you want a low pressure food source, if you want to kill plot, like there's just so many different ways to go about this. So, um, this is not the hard and fast black and white rule. It's just, it's just one way to look at it. Exactly. Yeah. Jeff really gets the ball rolling with this one. So I say, let's get him on here and turn this over to the interview you and I did with him the other day. Yeah. Let's, let's get it rolling. But before we get to that, if any of you guys are in the market for new cables and strings, look no further than America's Best Bowstrings. And if you want more information on them, go to americasbestbowstrings.com and tell them the guys from the fall podcast sent you. All right, on the phone with us today is Jeff Nelson from Advanced Habitat Solutions. Jeff, how you doing, man? Great, yourself? I'm doing good. It's uh, We have a heat wave coming through Michigan right now. <laughs> it's, yeah, ours uh, is too. It's sunny and negative uh, 7. Exactly. It, it's getting up to about uh, 6 degrees or 8 degrees as a high, so it's it's awesome. And the vehicles don't even want to start in the morning. That's how cold it is. So, No, my, yeah, my truck's plugged in, and uh, and it does not want to go anywhere today, so we're, <laughs> we're good in the office. Yep. Well, cool. I think it'd be a good day to talk uh, about some food plotting if uh, if you're up for it. I'm here, man. <laughs> yeah, if you could, uh, if you could break down, you know, who you are, what you do, and and where you're from, and you know, maybe how how long you've been doing this farm management thing, that'd be great. Sure. Um, Trying to see if I, how far I need to kick it back. Um, my name is Jeff Nelson. Uh, I live in Western Wisconsin, uh, so basically in the Midwest. So a lot of things that uh, we do um, can like uh, basically equate to many people. Um, so I started land management about about 11 years ago, I think. I used to own a, a lawn care company, and so since then I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But it, um, I wasn't very good at it with the lawn mowing company with with revenue and things like that. So I I made some mistakes along the way, but. Um, when I got married and then we bought some land, uh, I decided I needed a tractor to plow the driveway. And along with that, a friend of mine, we were doing the Midwest whitetail thing. So it was kind of a, uh, a justification to buy a tractor. Um, 
And so I had been putting in food plots for myself and some friends with rented equipment. And then uh, with all that, I think, well, I started looking at numbers and, and uh, how much tractor would cost. And um, some of the tractor companies were putting out 0%. So it was like uh, kind of a, there's really no better shot to, to go buy a machine. And um, so, I've, you know, I figured only make, I had to make like 3000 bucks a, uh, a year to pay for this machine. So we just kind of put a, a plan together and what we needed and started advertising since the social media came out and uh, started advertising on that platform. And it's kind of, it's grown from there, but that's basically where it started from. It's just, just, you know, wanting, wanting machine, um, the love of doing it. And then, um, you know, just kind of fell into place. So it wasn't yep. like, you know, a, a written business plan where I wanted to be in 10 years. It was just, I acted now on, on a situation and, and it's grown. And, and, and now I realize what, what's that turned into. Now I have that focus and, and uh, I guess just a uh, drive to make, to build a business now rather than just right. pay for a tractor. Yep. You know, and a lot of people have been reaching out to us and, and wanted to know a lot about food plots. And it was kind of a generic loaded question. It's just like a vague, like, you know, how do we do food plots? So I figured, you know, you're a food plot guy. I'd like to have you on and, and talk about these. So basically, you know, from square one, let's say you have, or someone, you know, a client of yours has, you know, a piece of ground that's, let's say, never been tilled up or worked up or even had a food plot in there. And mm-hmm. where would you start with trying to prep that and, you know, the steps along to get it, you know, the seed in the ground to make it the best food plot that you could have? Yeah, sure. So a customer, a friend, whatever, we basically would just go and, and walk the property. And um, well, first you're going to look for, like, you know, the openings, uh, you know, either – I try to stay out of the timber, but if there's little pockets of ground that isn't, you know, turned over for agriculture. So we just kind of, we highlight those areas. Um, basically just hi- highlight the areas that you could actually do some food plots without any, any logging or anything like that. Right. So that would be basically just, just finding locations. And then once you find those locations, you need to be able to figure out if you can hunt those locations without getting detected. Cause if you, you could drop thousands of dollars in the food plot. And if you can't get to it without spooking deer, it's going to be an unproductive food plot. Well, you know, once you find something that you can actually get to um, and you can get work started, um, you know, and get a strategy involved, that's, that's basically where we start. And then, uh, yeah, so there's evening, you know, evening strategies, morning strategies, depending on what, what kind of a hunter you are, what kind of, what kind of time you have. So, you know, every hunter is going to be different. Every property is going to be different. Um, so that's, where, that's basically where we start. So do a lot of guys or a lot of clients come in and say, okay, I want to focus more on like early season food sources or, you know, I want a food source that's going to be good in the rut or late season or is, or is a lot of people asking you, I need something for a year round, you know, good food source on the property. Yeah. If you had to, uh, you know, put them in, in order from greatest to least, it would be a year round is number one. Um, but then there's guys that like, you know, I, I only get time, uh, early season or I, I got one customer was like, I hate the cold. Once it's cold, I'm done. So, I mean, so you got, you know, everybody's going to be different. Majority of people want them all year round just because they want deer to stick around. Um, so I still, I suppose I'd say half of them are, are focused on the deer and deer herd health. And there's a lot of them. The other half are probably, you know, their time frame and what, what's best for them. 
Okay. Now, do you have, let's say we are in the early season, do you have the best, like, green source for early season? Like, best green, um, you know, what are you looking to plant for the best option? Uh, again, that's that's uh, all varied by uh, the crops that are around your, around your farms. Um, but typically, like, I always go for early season, I go for beans. Um, beans is the number one seller of plants that I put in the ground. Um, and then probably followed by clover and brassica. So, and then again, early season is actually a, a very small time frame. So you're already, you know, purging into the pre-rut by, you know, mid-October where a lot of your, your green stuff is already, you know, like your beans are already turning by, if they're not already turned by mid-October. Um, so, and then another thing is, you know, if you're going to put greens in, you can put a variety of stuff in too whether it's side by side or it's all mixed together. I typically don't like to mix things together, but, um, uh, you, know, you know, green, green beans, brassicas and clover. So I'd, I'd say would be my, my top early, early season blends, okay. early season foods. I got a question for you as, as far as early season goes. Do you, you ever find anybody that specifically asks for beans, but they don't want to plant them until like, july or august just for the sole purpose of having that that the power of the soybean in october or early november like if you can find a place they're going to stay green longer yeah yeah if i don't if i don't have them ask me that i will recommend that to them i mean um i've actually had uh i'm not sure if this is going off point but i've actually had uh, i've had clients kind of complain that uh, their beans weren't near as good as the farmer's at a certain point of time and we have to tell them, you know, well, I planted these 30 days, you know, after, after the farmers did, because they want theirs up, they want them dried and they want them in their grain bin as fast as possible. Him, you know, you and the farmer and I have completely different objectives. And then, uh, then when they find out, you know, October 15th is here, they have, you know, three to four foot tall green soybean plants. Then they, kind of shake their head like, oh, now I get it. Yep, now I get it. So so if they're not asking for it, I'm explaining that to them, and, and that's when I put mine in. So I usually don't – I follow the farmers by at least three weeks after they plant is when I go and start putting putting mine in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and then all clients too. Yeah, I, I only asked those – I had an experience in Illinois where uh, a drought killed a bunch of the beans, and then they tried to replant later in the summer, and it was just – unbelievably good late October because they were still green. Everything else had been harvested or was yellow, you know, and they were up the, you know, that bitter taste that deer don't want out of the beans anymore. And it was like every deer in five miles was on this one little bean field. And it was, it was pretty insane. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I did a, a video blog, uh, I think it was going to be last year, two years ago. And it was, I was you know driving on the road and looking at all the, all the beans have all turned and the leaves were already starting to drop. And then I pulled into my driveway where I got some, um, some plots, just some test plots and they were, they were all green as possible. And there's actually two does in there. And so it was just, that was kind of the, one of my, you know, marketing things where I, I put on my Facebook page and my Instagram and stuff where, uh, to show people why we do this late, you know, because a lot of times if you do it and the farmers do it, you know, a lot of guys will all just have the farmer plants and, some beans for me i'll just buy them from them or whatever well by the time your tag is valid they're already turning so 
yeah, the point is to have them out there when the deer turn off. Like you want yours to be still green and palatable. Yep. While I have a tag in my pocket. Yep. Right. You know, I have, I have an issue on my farm, one of my farms here in Michigan and the soil is very sandy and it's honestly kind of like blow sand in some areas. Do you have a certain way of combating the, that sandy soil or, you know, um, do you put a lot of, you know, say lime down or fertilizer or what, how are you trying to, uh, combat that when you have a sandy soil? Well, basically when you have sandy soil, um, fertilizer and lime is going to pretty much be a waste of time and money until you get your organic matter built up. Um, cause it'll, uh, the rain will, will wash those nutrients right down, right back down through your, your topsoil, which you don't have any topsoil, but if there were, you know, say 10, 12 inches of, of your sand, it's going to be below, below your root system for your next planting. So you, you basically got to go in there with, um, instead of, instead of targeting plants that your deer might eat, you need to start targeting plants that will be better for your, for your ground. Okay. So buckwheat is one, um, even oats is okay. Um, uh, but you also want to avoid, you also want to avoid turning the soil. So you basically want to, uh, plant, you know, whether you're going to do it two times a year or just once a year, but you want to build up as much organic matter as you can in those plots and then just, um, uh, you know, knock them down and then try to drill right into them again. Um, cause you need that moisture retention in there and you need, you need that stuff to lay on top of the surface to turn into black dirt and not, not get washed away. Okay. So the scenario I have is it's a set aside grass basically. That's only about, you know, knee high. And then, mm -hmm. so what would be the steps that I would need to take to, to go through there without, you know, working the soil up? So would you just go in there and, and maybe like, you know, brush hog it or mow it and then, you know, then plant it or what, what would be your steps? It's already, it's in, it's in set aside grass now. So it's already growing. It's already growing some, some decent plants. Yeah. So it's a lot of it's like CRP set aside stuff. And you know, at the, at down at your root system down there, there's a lot of like, there's like green, I don't even know what they are. I'm not a, not a horticulturist or anything like that. I don't know a lot about the plants. Probably just some, just some grasses. Yeah. Yep. Some grasses. Yeah. Get, get, you can get, definitely get it mowed off and, uh, you know, soybeans work really well. So I'm not sure how big of an area you can plant, but, um, just, just try to do as much as you can without, without, um, you know, without tilling or disking. If you can yeah. brush hog it all and get all that stuff on top and then you can drill, if you can drill into the soil, um, it'll, it'll do just fine. Okay. Cause I can do up to about three acres. Yeah. Three acres. Yeah. Put some soybeans in there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to break that that surface soil. You don't want to expose the moisture that's there. And like you said, those beans are going to propagate really well. You can drill right through that grass once you mow it, and those beans will take over quicker than the grasses will. Yep, one hundred percent. And then you can even uh, you can even overseed that with clover. Um, clover will grow pretty well underneath soybeans, and then um, you know clover actually puts nitrogen in back into your soil. Um, mm -hmm. So that would be that's what I would do. And then uh, in situations like that too, if, if they get hammered, like say on one end, you know, one end's closest to a bedding area, that one end might get hammered more than the other. Um, so you might have a lot of real short stems or something that's not going to produce uh, pods in, in towards the end of the year. Then you can just go and kind of do that again, mow it, whether it's with your lawnmower or foliar, but 
you can redo it again and then you can put your brassicas in there and then you'll have now you have clover bean pods and brassicas and brassica bulbs all in one food box you'll have four tractants in one okay and and you'll also be doing your soil you'll be amending your soil as well in the same time Okay. Yeah. And that was one thing I was trying to figure out if I needed to turn the dirt up or not. Cause I have been the last couple of years and planning. Yeah. If you have sand, don't turn it. <laughs> okay. So if I just mow it down and drill something in, whether it's beans or, you know, is there anything else that you could drill in that would be. Uh, well, effective? you don't really need to drill beans just cause beans are a bigger, a bigger seed. I mean, you could just, you could, uh, top coat clover in there, oats, buckwheat, do like your, uh, your alfalfa or whatever, but then you're going to get into what you can, what you can spray, what you can't spray, right. You know, what will grow well with the other, what will choke the other out, what will impede the other one out. So whatever, whatever combination, um, you know, if you, if you want beans, you could easily do clover and brassicas. If you want buckwheat, you might not, um, you could probably do buckwheat and clover. Um, but Buckwheat, I'm not really care what anybody says, but it's not a huge attractant for anyone unless there's literally nothing for the deer around. I mean, if you're if your county is surrounded by all pine forests, then buckwheat will probably do great because there's no other food sources. But if you're in you know farm country like we are, buckwheat's not going to do anything because they'll just go across the road and get some beans. Yeah, and that's this this plot I'm talking about. I mean, within 200 yards of it is a 65 acre alfalfa field. So the deer just, they pile into that every day, every night. I mean, there's, I have a high, high density of deer. I mean, you'll see 80 deer a night in that field. So I'm trying to figure out a way to plant something in there that, um, that they'll crave, or that might be like even a staging area because it's a perfect little spot, you know, and it's in between two pine groves. It's a long, skinny three acres. So it's only like 40 acre or 40 yards uh, wide but it's like really mm-hmm. long and it's in between two mature pine groves. And on the other side of the pine grove is that's where the alfalfa field is. So I'm trying to figure out a staging area. It's go, It's literally one pine grove is thicker and crap. It used to be a, uh, a tree farm that was grown. It's grown up now and the deer, that's their sanctuary. And then it goes to, okay. it goes to where I want to plant food. And then it goes to my pine grove, which is, you can see under all the pines cause they're too mature and they don't grow anymore. And then it goes to hardwoods and then alfalfa. And it's all within a 500 yard stretch. Aaron, are they, are they red pines? Do you know what kind of pines they are? Um, I don't, I can't remember. And in my opinion, I would say um, a place like that, those deer are eating, you know, they're across the road or whatever because it's a better food source. So instead of trying to compete with a food, you don't have a better food source, you might you might be able to put the same thing in there, put a clover, chicory, and uh, alfalfa blend. And I don't know if you'll notice or not, but you'll probably notice the deer over there eating that alfalfa about a week or two after, they, after it gets baled. Yep. That sound right? Yep, it is. So, so yeah, so they're over there eating the younger plants. Once they get, you know, a few weeks before they bail, they're not going to be on those that right. on it anymore. So you could plant yours, you know, the same kind of material, and then uh, you could mow yours more often. So one that'll one keep it more attractive because it's going to be the younger, lusher plants. But then another thing is it'll probably be a lot more safer or feel more secure than the other one if it's in between two pine groves. So, yep, that would be like those are the two things that pop right in my mind that how you could 
you know, how you could combat, you know, the, the neighboring property or you, could, or you could keep the deer over within, you know, somewhat sort of a bow range. Yeah. It seems like you could, you could probably time that, that planning too. If you know how long it takes them to cut, you know, they're not going to get that second cutting for another two or three weeks after the first one, you know, and down the, on down the line. But if you plant yeah, yeah. three weeks after you saw them plant, you know, that when they cut, Yours is going to be prime while well, theirs are still coming back, but that's when the deer are eating yep. it is when those fresh shoots are coming back up. So you could probably time it to where you can get yours. But like alfalfa does flower, so you have to cut it or else it won't be palatable. If it goes to flower, then, I mean, it's not too far gone, but you don't want to see flowers on the alfalfa. Right. And if you, you know, you're going to knock, you're going to, when you mow that down, you're just, you're just knocking more seeds down and you're just rejuvenating right. more. So, um, I guess in my opinion, I'm always the guy that likes to cut it after it, you know, once it flowers, I don't like to try to beat the flowers. I like to let it flower. Cause I mean, you're doing, you're doing good to the, uh, you know, the bees and the butterflies and whatnot too. So you're not really, it is unpalatable sure. here, like you said, but it's not, it's still doing a service to again, your, your food plot and to other animals. Um, so you don't have to be like, you know, you know, damn it. I didn't make it in time. You know, you can still do it at your pleasure, but, you know, like say uh, the weekend's coming up, um, you know, go mow that stuff on Monday night after work. And then come Monday, all that's all the stuff you mowed is going to be dried and uh, your young stock's going to be coming back up and it'll be, okay. should be prime. So, so you're saying I could go in there and cut that set aside grass, you know, brush hog it. And then I can go in there and just broadcast that clover or, or chicory right on top of it. I'd spray first because otherwise then all, whatever you got in there will come back to compete. Okay, so, so then spray and kill it after you, you know, after you cut it down and then you're just saying broadcast right on it and do you just let it, you know, let the let the seed take take off after that? Yeah, if you got a way to compact it, like, with, you know, take an ATV over with a culture packer or even yep. just the ATV tires works fine, but, um, you know, smaller seed doesn't need to be buried as far as bigger seed, so um, uh, that definitely works. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's a big difference between guys like me and 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 guys that are doing their own food plots because you know they don't have the equipment I have, which I understand, but they also have the time that I don't have. Right. So like sometimes the worst food plots are my own because I don't have hardly any time to do my own anymore. But yep. um, but I do things according to that. So you know I I may not need to mow it every two weeks because you know I got beans, so I'll just I'll do whatever I can to. Uh, to get beans out there and then what needs less maintenance right. is what, what I would go towards. Okay. What about, what about burning that grass? Like, is there a, a benefit to putting that organic material down in the form of ash versus, you know, that raw, those raw stems you get and the, and the clippings from the grass? Yep. There's a, I'd say there's a better benefit to it. Um, it just incorporates faster or what? Um, I'm not exactly sure how it breaks down, but I know like even it, it does add fertilizer, like a, I'm not sure what, element i know but uh like even in you know south american countries they use slash and burn agriculture where they just chop everything down burn it and then that that burning is their form of fertilizer so scientifically how does that work or biologically i i don't know um i could easily you know google it and sound real smart but i i'm not into slash and burn agriculture so i don't know um but i do know that it would be more of a benefit than and just laying it down and letting it rot. I mean, is it going to be night and day? I don't think so. Um, but as far as 
you know, if it was my place and I've got 20 acres of CRP and I want to burn three acres of it, the chances of it getting away on me are probably pretty good. So that I would, I would go towards just the mowing and, and spraying. Yeah. You know, if you got five, six guys that know what they're doing, then by, by all means burn it. Yeah. And I've actually kicked around doing the burn, but mm-hmm. with the pines on each side of me, I mean, one of those pines goes and the whole thing goes. And that was my only yep. thing. You know, I would, I would have to have the fire department there. The, I mean, enough guys to, you know, you could do a, a back burn, but you also can, you know, till up some, um, some barriers as well. I do know I've looked into that, but it's like, I just feel like there's a lot of risk to it that I don't want to have to deal with if it's, uh, if it doesn't turn out very well, but, um, yeah, you, you weigh out, you weigh out risk versus reward. Just the same, yeah. same way with hunting strategy. Yep. It's whether you screw up on a buck or you burn someone's pine stone. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I actually did that, uh, clover. I did a little clover kill plot this year on, on another farm where I went in and, I broadcasted the seed and I just killed, I, I, I killed all the grass. So the grass would lay down on the, on the clover seed and it came up really well this year. I was actually pretty impressed with it. I didn't even work it in or nothing. Um, and it wasn't a very big, it was just a kill plot. It was probably 20 yards by 20 yards in, in timber, uh, in kind of Mm -hmm. a shady area. And it actually came up pretty well. Yeah, that's one thing, you know, like you said, you get a lot of questions on how to food plots. It's, it's not rocket science and, uh, you can, you can, you can screw up to a degree and still have great success. I mean, I know, I know guys that want their plots to look like Pebble Beach. And then, uh, you know, if you watch any of Winky's episodes of, uh, I forget, what was the big buck he killed on his, was, um, the G3 buck, I think it was called. Yep. Er, I, uh, yes. I emailed yep. him once and said, uh. I'm like man, what what's that stuff you got growing in the middle? He's like, oh, it's just you know foxtail or coontail. And uh, mm. I'm like, what did you plant that for? Because I didn't plant it. It's where the sprayer missed. You know, it just it doesn't look perfect. Right. Like, oh, right. Okay. So you don't have to have everything look absolutely perfect, and the deer will still eat it. I mean, yeah. I've had deer walk through my food pots and eat the leaves or eat the, you know, the the burning nettles and stuff like right next to my bow or my bow stand. And it's like, I planted this stuff for you guys. You, should be eating it, not the weeds. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, you watch like a Lee and Tiffany show, and they've got these lush, giant fields that all these bucks are rolling around, and it's like, ah, oh, that's what I need to kill a big deer. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, a rea- there's a reality, and then there's a TV reality. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so what is, you know, talking about kill plots, what is your definition of a kill plot? Uh, I guess a kill plot would be where you, where you expect to kill a deer the majority of the time i mean uh i plant a lot of food plots and i don't i don't hunt over them very often um but say you know some property might have like a, a logging road or they might have a, a small little clearing that you can get into and you can put a quarter acre into and, and it's it's in between i guess if you want to want to define it it would be a, a plot in between um a destination food plot or destination food source, mm-hmm. whether it be your own or, or an ag field and then their bedding area. So, um, you know, if you got a bunch of does, you want to want to remove off your farm. Um, you can plant those little honey holes where there's still plenty of daylight left and, and you can kill plenty of deer on, or, um, or if you are lucky enough to pattern a buck going through one of those that you're after. Right. Um, typically big bucks don't get killed on, 
on a, what you would call kill plots, but, um, but that would be my definition. It's just like I said something you plan on killing a deer. Yep. In that plot. And it's kind of a smaller plot too, right? I mean, you're looking at something. If you're if you're if you want to hunt it, I would think you'd probably want to be able to shoot with a bow and arrow or whatever. If it's a gun, you want to be able to shoot that whole plot. I would think. Absolutely, and it could it could even just be you know an inside an inside pocket of a of a large food plot. So it doesn't have to be disconnected. It could easily be connected to the larger food plot. Just some place to get him to stop, get a shot. You know, a kill plot like typically I try to if I do a kill plot like. I like to make them small, like I had said there, and and so I anything that comes in the field, I, I'm able to get a, a crack at. But you know, a lot of times here in Michigan, I've I've done a lot of food plots here, and I've only honestly had one opportunity at a, a pretty good buck um, on a food plot. So I'm not saying they don't work, but maybe I'm doing something wrong <laughs> that uh, that uh, is not working for me. Uh, no, I w- I would say you're not doing anything wrong. Um... You know, food plots aren't slam dunks by any means. Um, I mean, if that were the case, I'd have, you know, my Facebook page would be filled with all my customer kills. But it's, uh, you know, everybody, everybody has, it's their time, how much time they have to put in. Some guys, um, you know, they work hard, they work a lot, they don't hunt much, or, or when they do hunt, they hunt too much. So, you know, it all goes with the, it's just, Again, whitetail hunting is difficult. Yep. Already. Yeah. So, to say I'm going to put food plots in, your your chances go up, but it's you know nothing makes your chances go up incredibly or extremely other than woodsmanship and putting your time in and um you know even if, even if you do all that, I in my opinion, you 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 usually get one crack at at a good buck every year. Yep. Unless you hunt, you know, multiple states. Unless you're like, you know, the keepers or, or uh, you know, they're bouncing all around the country and they just get, you know, the more opportunity, the more, the more opportunity you hunt, the more, the more you hunt, the more opportunity you get. Right. Yep. You know, and what uh, when you're designing a food plot, do you have a a certain shape that you like to have, or is it just kind of what the topography or the land kind of gives you? Um, both. So. You know, if it's a large food plot, um, and you know, if the customer wants it all planted, we'll plant it all. But we'll, it won't be like so. Let's just say there's a three-acre rectangle. It won't be a three-acre rectangle. It'll be three acres of, you know, where are the deer bedding, where are they coming out, um, and we'll architecture something because um, deer will 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 flow in these you know, in the path of least resistance. So whether we use corn or we use beans or whatever, we'll, we'll, there's tons and tons of ways to make them, to try to get them to go to A to B, you know, to manipulate your movement. Um, if it's a smaller, like I've done, I've done plots that's, it ends up being a square, but it will, in the, in the end, will kind of look like a D shape to where basically deer forced to go in between a tree stand and like say some standing corn uh, i might there's some plots that actually will fall a big tree and i'll plant the soybean or i'll plant the plot and then i'll yank that tree into a spot where you know it'll still grow because the tree is dead obviously but the deer will have to go around that tree and that'll put the deer in range so tons and tons of strategies that i've right. done over the years and i've seen and um 
so yeah and then if there's if there's just rifle guys where they can shoot from one and the other then that's fine then we don't need to really put in too much strategy into it but most of the guys have a plan for all bow hunters yep and you know let's say you're on like a client farm and and you know your farm this this farm is in a good spot to mold or you know maybe it's just a general rule of thumb are what uh what percentage of the farm do you want to be a food source? You know, if it's like a hundred acre farm, do you want certain amount of acres to be a food source? Uh, how do you combat that? Yeah, that's, again, that's all, uh, you know, each situation is different, but I'd say it's a number one, as much as you can fit in there or, and, and afford, I mean, if you can, if you can put 50 acres of food pot in there, you're, you're overkill by, by all means. But um, I know like one customer's only got, I think, five acres and we'll we'll put all that in there and we're and we've also um you know had loggers come in and we've doubled the food pot size from logging and pulling out all, all the stumps and making more food pots but um as much as you can afford is is about the number one um if you have a bunch of tillable you know you'd be, excited, you'd be wasting your time putting all in food pots because the, right. the deer aren't going to consume it all yep so you know, I guess the, the, the normal rule of thumb is five, 10%, but that doesn't really apply if you either a, you can't afford it or don't have the room. Okay. And you know, when you're planning food plots, are you trying to give them, are you trying to give the deer a variety in each food plot or are you planning, you know, maybe this plot might be clover and the, you know, a couple hundred yards away, there might be a, uh, you know, a soybean plot, or are you trying to put in one plot maybe two or three or four different variations. So they have a variety. Okay. Uh, so bigger food plots, uh, I'd want a variety um, because you're going to be observing for one. You're going to have your cameras on the edge of that. So you're going to want to attract as many deer as you can into that food plot all year long. So you're going to want to have a variety of, of greens and beans or greens and grains. Um, but if they're smaller plots, you definitely don't want to put um, any of the, the plants that say like uh, soybeans or once they eat them, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so those small pots is where you want to put your oats and your clover and your chicory and, and blends like that, because when they eat them, they're just going to keep rejuvenating and, and, um, and coming back. So, um, so bigger food plots, definitely the best variety you can smaller ones. Uh, the regenerative species are the ones that you're going to want to put in those. Okay. You know, and there's, you know, a lot of guys out there that are just, you know, the everyday working guys that, you know, maybe might not have a lot of acreage or a lot of ground to be able to do a food plot, such as like, you know, let's say you have like a cornfield or an ag field and then it, you know, it kind of butts right up to the, to the woods, but maybe there might be, you know, a trail that goes along in between the woods and the, in the field. What would you recommend for, you know, maybe pops possibly putting a little food plot in that trail. Do you have a certain seed or, you know, something that works good next to, if it is a cornfield or a bean field, do you have anything, um, that's like a no brainer for there? Yeah, those, those are clovers, no brainer for those. Cause anytime you have, anytime you have long linear food plots, you know, like, uh, like I said, a clover and oats or, or brassicas are, cause deer are going to, when they, when they're going to feed in there, they're going to mill around. And they're typically going to keep on moving. Deer don't normally go out into any food plot and just stand there and gorge. They're yep. always moving. Um, I'm not sure if that's just for a, um, trying not to you know get eaten or get killed, but right. Um, so 
there's really almost you could almost put anything in, in a situation like that um that all depends on access if you can get there to mow it you know if you can get back there without running over the the farmer's beans or the farmer's corn and then get back there and mow it you can you can put your clover in um sometimes let's say you put soybeans in there or something and you tell the farmer hey when you're going to spray can you spray mine too i mean so that could be a factor yep um so yeah it all, it all depends on, on people's situations but i would say anything is fair game for something like that as long as it gets sample sunlight and water yeah and and clover does pretty well in shady areas doesn't it it does buzz well as as you can get yeah so if there's a little shade um, on that that field edge possibly or something that might do might do okay there yeah yeah and it's not necessarily the, the shade that's the, the the issue the issue of of stuff real close to timber is just leaf drop so okay you know i've had i've had a plot in, inside my woods the first two or three years that i was doing food plots commercially and it ended up looking great but then as soon as all the giant maples and oaks dropped their got their leaves on it just completely covered it up and became useless so Mm-hmm. Just I stopped doing it. Yep. And let's say a guy doesn't have access to a tiller or any way of working up ground. Is there another way, you know, that somebody could do, you know, work up the ground or, you know, put in a plot without those kind of tools? Let's say a tractor or something. If you don't have a tractor, you can use your ATV. If you don't have an ATV, then you can use a rake. Yeah. <laughs> Get out there and do a poor man's uh, plot. So you've, you've seen, yeah, so you've seen Winky's series of poor man's food plots. You can, uh, it takes a lot of sweat, sweat equity. And, uh, you know, and for, for most of these guys that are bow hunting, you know, they're, you know, you're buying thousand dollar bows, you're buying, you know, 30 bucks for an arrow. So you, most people got a little bit of money. They can either, again, they can either hire a guy like me, um, which is cheaper than buying and cheaper than renting, which again, it's still not, super cheap but uh you need to find a guy that's local to do it for you or um like where i'm at i can think of probably three off the top of my head that will rent the other tractor i mean i did it for years so you can rent out a tractor at a at uh i guess i'm not sure what the what they'd be called there's like an all-star rental or something around here so even if you rented an atv a super small tractor um borrow a lawnmower from a buddy whatever i mean i've seen guys putting food pots their lawnmowers and a drag and and that's all they had back there and it can get to, it can get to be fun but there's also you know you might have to cross cricks and all that sort of stuff so yeah so I, anything you can get your hands on anything you get your hands on that's not gonna that's not gonna make your arms fall off and <laughs> your fingers bleed you know it makes for a better story too if you go out there with a rake and just do it all oh. with hand tools <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that or not. <laughs> I'd be that's a long-winded story when you when you got to rake a whole food plot by hand. Well, I always like to like to say too. You always get out what you put in. So if you go put a lot of hard sweat equity in, you'd like to think that uh, you might have that on your side for when a when a good deer comes through your area and you'd be able to kill him there. <laughs> absolutely, that's absolutely true. And there's a, but there's also I don't want to be a pessimist, but there's also there where you put in a shitload of work and you don't get anything, out of it. <laughs> which happens more often than not, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can buy a you can buy buy a brand new pickup truck, but as soon as you hit a deer, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think I got one last question here. We're almost up on time. Um, 
And this one is, so let's say on a property, you locate the bedding areas where the deer are bedding. Where do you place your food plots or what's the process that you take from there where you want to place the food plots from the bedding? Um, so just trying to think of a couple situations I've already done. So again, you have to find those spots that are, that are able to be planted, you know, without doing any excavating or any, yep. um, you know, timber. Um, but if you can get those, you know, I almost want to say, I don't want my food plots real close to bedding. Um, I, I know does, you know, does will bed real close to food Yep. as, as close as they can actually get. Um, but then again, you, you got to play that game where you can get in on your stand. And if a deer walks, watches you getting in your tree stand and your, those deer are going to hop up and they're going to go backwards. Yep. So, um, what I would almost do. And what I, what I normally do is, you know, we'll put a food plot in and if we're going to work on bedding, we'll, we'll try to enhance bedding someplace else where we want the bedding. Um, so you can easily go and you can easily go and, uh, deter deer from bedding in a certain area. It's, it's easier to get them to do, to not bed there than this to bed there. Right. So, so yeah, it's all, I guess I just wish I had a, uh, you know, a, a written down, you know, Bible, if you will, of how you should attack these things, because if you get too close to bedding, you can have a really unproductive food plot right. during daylight hours for sure. I um, mean, really, it's like it's it's all situational, too, I guess. You know, every farm is yeah. different. I guess, yep. you know, do you have a certain amount of distance that you'd like to stay away from a bedding area or... You know, and that could vary too with cover and everything, but let's say you have mediocre yeah. cover, you know, is there a certain like distance, a couple hundred yards or, you know, maybe I'd just say at least a hundred, 150 yards would be as, as the closest I'd want them to be. Yep. Um, you know, I've, yeah. And everyone's had certain situations where it seemed too easy or whatever, but it's, you know, deer are, you know, like, like we all know they're, way more hypersensitive than we are as far as sight and sound. And, and if you walk out there, they, they're going to see you if they're, if they're within a hundred yards for sure. Right. Um, whether I'm not sure how well their memory is, I would say it's better than ours. So, you know, even if they lay there in their bed for another three hours, um, they're not going to come prancing down in front of you. Yep. So if it's, you know, now, let's just say I walk into a property and I see a nice little hillside where there's deer going to lay there. Then they're going to watch this open area. I think you're screwed. Um, so I would probably try to put a food plot on the other side of that hill if possible, if it's not the neighbors. Um, if uh, if it wasn't the neighbors or if the neighbors was across and only, mine's on this side, I would I would probably put up some screening or somehow figure out how to get into your stand without you know, without those deer seeing you, even if they're on the hillside, if you got to do some TSI and, you know, just block their view, I guess I'd go that route. Or, uh, or if say you could do the, you know, like the, uh, Egyptian wheat kind of yep. strategy as far as screening your, your approach. Yeah. Screening is huge, especially for access, you know, enter and exit. And that's what one thing I've been experimenting the last two years on my farm is, you know, hinge cutting and TSI and, making hinge cutting for bedding, but also making it so I can get into my stands that are, you know, right on top of my bedding areas. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a relatively inexpensive way, 
you know, with just some sweat equity and chainsaw and, and, you know, yep. some gas and, and a couple days in the, in, you know, the off season to do that. And you can have, you know, it looks like hell, but it's what the deer love, you know? So it's kind of, oh, you, you, you got a, a trade off too. Do you really want your farm to look good or do you want it to perform, you know, as a, as a hunting Mecca, I guess you could say. Well, if you look at any, you know, any, you know, marketing, you know, signs or any commercials on TV, people aren't normally holding up pictures of their, how their farm looks. They're, they're holding up pictures of big bucks. So exactly, I would vouch for saying that, uh, you know, um, function over style any day of the week for me. Yep, I um, agree. Even like with those with those variables, see as many farms as I've been on, you know, you'll get a guy who's got, you know, just paid half million dollars for a farm and it's um you know all timber on the outside and there's a big giant ag field in the middle and i kind of was like oh man this is going to be a struggle because if you you know if you have a big piece of property where it's open all the way on the outside that you can hunt versus you know uh you know versus again the field in the middle versus the timber in the middle having deer bed in the middle of your property and then pull them out towards your food plots is by far the the best and easiest way to do it or to even look good yeah but um it's such a challenge to do it when you're uh when you're coming into the middle of your property and all the deer got to come from the outside yeah so yeah there's all all, all sorts of different like I said uh variables that we got to deal with and so we got to learn the best ways to take those variables into consideration and you know you might have a property where you can only really hunt early season or you can really only hunt the rut um Sometimes, sometimes you might have a pond on your property and nobody else does. And that pond is the reason you keep getting this, you know, the biggest buck of the year on camera. You might have, there might be a, a big, thick, fen- uh, brushy fence line that that's the only reason why deer are coming through. Yeah. We used to do deer drives here in Wisconsin. I, we, I think I've quit for the last eight years. I don't think I've done one anymore, but we used to, we used to slaughter deer. By going in people's backyards, like where they have their LP tank, yeah, and and deer would they'd bed in those things because they get you know, they're getting pushed around for a week, and we would kick them out of the places that you would never think. I mean, we I know we had one run through somebody's swing set because it was right by their <laughs> LP tank, and so it's like, my god, these animals are just so adaptive, and so yeah, you just, it's just the game you got to play with the uh, with their brains. Um, you know, if you have a a neighbor that doesn't hunt versus a neighbor who's a farmer and or he doesn't hunt. And then you get the next guy who's just as diehard as you are. Yep. All that's got to go into consideration and in, into your plan. Right. That is for sure, man. Well, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to cut you loose here. We're getting up on time. Do you, uh, Justin have anything in closing, any closing thoughts or questions? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, like you said, it's not rocket science stuff. I don't think it's just, kind of just understand your property before you decide what you want to do with it. And then from there, figure out what kind of soil you have to work with and what's going to grow best for you. Yeah. So if I, if I get you know, everybody to walk away with one thing, you know, it'd be to make a checklist, you know, on top of your checklist is going to be, can I get there in and out without spooking deer? Um, and then if I can do that, you know, what should I plant or what, what could I plant? We need to figure that out based on your soil, the quality of your soil, um, 
And then once you figure out the, qu the quality of your soil, you can figure out what plants will work well. Um, don't worry about the deer, worry about your soil. Because if you, you know, if it won't grow, it's not going to do any good. So worry about the soil, what will grow in the soil first. And then once that starts getting better, then you can start going into the, the plants, you know, two, three years on the road that will grow, that will grow and the deer will absolutely be attracted to. Um, I saw even in your, uh, when you texted me earlier about some of your, your questions was, uh, what food source would deer crave over acorns? And the answer to that is pretty much nothing. I mean, when they, well, they'll eat what they want. So when right. they're on corn, they're going to be on corn. They're on acorns, they're going to be on acorns. But they still will want a variety. I mean, so they might be on acorns for two days. They might be on greens for one day. Back to acorns, whatever. Yep. Um, some parcels only have red acorns. Some only have white. So, it, it, again, it's just uh, it's not cut and dry. There's no, you know, there's no Bible for, for deer hunting when they're, Never will be. It's been going on for way too long, and no one's figured <laughs> nope, it out. Nobody's cracked the code. So, <laughs> yeah, you will not crack the code as much as you try. So just uh, sit back and sit back and scout from afar, and um, that's another key. Don't. One thing I've learned in the past is I scout. I used to scout way too much. The number one thing that's helped me is is being busy. So the busier I am, the less time I have to spend in the woods, and the I've had the best last two years have been the best hunting seasons um, for seeing more deer. And that's because I haven't stepped into the property until October. I can agree 100% with you on that. This Other than in my tractor cab, you know? Right. This last year was the same thing for me. I just did not set foot on the farm and saw a lot of good deer, a lot of deer that I wanted to see in daylight. So, Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't, like I said, mine wasn't on purpose. It's just, I just didn't have any time. Yep. Um, and it, it turned out to be great. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't normally plug too much stuff, but, uh, I've been using the Cuddy back or the Cuddy link system cameras this last year. And that actually helps too. Cause I can set up, to, I can set 15 cameras out in the property and I check, I check all the cameras via one card and that one sits in my lawn. And so I come home, pull the, pull the one card out of the camera. I check it and I, it tells me every camera battery life on them so i can literally check 15 cameras with one card and that's kept me out of the woods i mean there's nothing better than going and pulling cards and seeing what you got right and if you now that, now that we can do that you know either via text message or email or uh just pulling one card like on these cutty links yeah those cutty links are the cats meow man we have some on our family farm this year and did the same thing and it's it helped out a lot too yeah yeah less than least of my intrusion is is key Exactly. Well, you know, if, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, Jeff, for, you know, your services or even just, you know, tips and tricks or anything, where can you direct them to go to, to contact you? Uh, the best place is Facebook. Uh, I've been starting to do some Instagram, but that's not the, the best platform for, for conversation, but Facebook definitely is. Uh, Advanced Habitat Solutions on Facebook. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man, and, and taking time to do this and I think a lot of people will get a lot out of this, and I, I just really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me. It was awesome. I love podcasts, so it was great to be, it was great to be a part of one for once. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, some really good information from Jeff. And, again, you know, like we said at the beginning of this, you know, this is not the, the hard and fast, black and white, kind of right and wrong answer to, to everyone's question. This is, this is one way to look at this depending on 
you know, if if the if the soil type supports these kind of decisions, or depending on your your geographic location, or just your goals as a hunter, like if if you just want to feed deer in the late season, draw deer in in the early season, or if you want to set up a kill plot or a micro plot, you know, closer to bedding, further away from bedding, you know, depending on how much property you have to work with, there's again, there's just so many factors in this that, um, you know, it, it's not something that you should, you know, set the clock to, or you know, set your schedule to, but if, if, if these kind of things apply to the situation that you're in or that you have any kind of control over, um, I just hope you keep it in mind and, you know, hope it helps you going forward from here on out. Yeah. I really don't think anybody has the right answer, you know, from farm to farm. Really. I think it's what works best for you and what works best for me. Um, you know, you can find those instances where maybe on your farm, it might work the same as on my farm, but you know, what Jeff's saying or what anybody else out there saying or Justin and I, it's, it doesn't work for everybody. So um, what I guess what I'm trying to say is you just have to try these things. And that's what all we're trying to do is just, you know, shed light on the things that people do and the practices that people try and see if it works for you. That that's really all we're trying to do. And, and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate Jeff coming on and doing this and, you know, taking time out of his day and, and, uh, coming on to talk, uh, food plots with us. And I think it worked really well. Yeah, I do too. I'm looking forward to kind of expanding on this topic and, you know, maybe from here on out, we try to find other people to talk about this thing, you know, this this subject uh, from different geographic regions, you know, like obviously as we move further south, like into the Midwest, we're going to get into some more fertile soils, some more, some more loamy kind of soil that's, you know, just that typical Midwestern awesome agricultural ground that, you know, has a lot of versatility. And then again, still moving further south, like Oklahoma, you know, in North Texas, you know, even probably some of Kansas where it's starting to turn back into sandy, you know, more well-drained soil with not a lot of moisture. It'd be cool to kind of see the, you know, the diversity in, in the outlook on this type of stuff when it comes to food plots, you know, from different people across the region. I agree 100%. I think that'd be cool to do that and, you know, and just try to like you said, the region thing, just try to get within everybody's, you know, region, a lot of people's region anyway, and just see what works best for them. And, you know, maybe we can uh, enlighten some other people to try some different things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know even on the East Coast, like, I know some people in Georgia that are dealing with a lot of clay, a lot of clay soils. Um, you know, I know once you get across, you know, west of the Mississippi, it turns back into sand. But, um, you know, we don't want to exclude anything. We want to cover all the bases and and try to bring this thing full circle and at least put the information out there that we know we can get our hands on and, and put in front of the listeners. So we're going to do our best to do that. Yes, we are. And uh, with that note, I think we're going to wrap this up. I just want to remind everybody, like I always do, is please go on to iTunes or you know CastBox or Podbean or you know Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast, and you know leave a rating and, and leave some feedback. Like I said, it's it's cool to hear from you guys to, you know, to see, you know, what you guys are thinking and if you like it or if you don't like it or, you know, we just like to see that feedback and it, and it helps us deliver a, a better product as well from week to week. And that's all I got, man. So I don't know. Do you have anything else? No, no, I don't. I'm just, I mean, like I said, the only thing else I can say is I've already said it's, I'm looking forward to kind of bringing more diversity to the subject based on geographic location. So. Just expect that in the future here as, as we get rolling into the off season, getting ready to plant in the spring. Yeah, for sure, man. 
don't forget, everybody, uh, this Friday we're going to have an all-new coffee call, and we're actually going to do it all on shed hunting. You know, tis the season, sheds are dropping, and we're going to be able to start finding them here soon. So can't wait to get that one out to you, and thanks for listening. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.